afternoon, and welcome to Spokane Public Radio's Northwest Arts Review, a half hour exploring the people, places, and events forming the rich arts tapestry we enjoy here in the Inland Northwest and our wider Intermountain Northwest region. I'm Jim Tevenin, pleased to be your guide on this journey. Today, we continue to celebrate winners of the most recent Spokane Arts Grants as Chris Massini talks with Garfield Elementary School teacher Samuel Rasmussen. Vern Windham presents Reflections by Spokane Poet Laureate Chris Cook on his Poetry in the Neighborhood project. I'll talk with Gonzaga University's Matt McCormick about this Friday's Student Film Festival, and we'll have music from our studio courtesy of pianist Melody Puller. This is Northwest Arts Review. For Spokane Public Radio, I'm Chris Massini. My guest today is Samuel Rasmussen, a teacher at Spokane's Garfield Elementary, and two of his students, Nelia and Ivy. The parent group at Garfield, Garfield Apple, is the recipient of the latest round of Spokane Arts Grant Awards for a project in which Garfield students will collaborate with local professional artists to create a new public mural on Garland Avenue in Spokane. Mr. Rasmussen, thanks so much for joining me, and congratulations on your Saga Award. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for having us. We appreciate it, and yeah, we're, we're really excited about that award. So first of all, uh, tell me about the Garfield Apple program. It sounds like it's a unique um, program that involves uh, parents in the community. Yeah, you got it just right. So uh, Apple is a parent participation program uh, where uh, uh, families get in by lottery. And then once they're in, they help by volunteering 90 hours to the program at a minimum. And one of the things that the parents help do each year is to develop a theme. So we've had um, a public service and volunteering as a theme. We did a careers as a theme. Uh, we had geology as a theme. And those themes last all year and end in a culminating project. This year, the, the parents, uh, the staff here and the students all worked together to put together art as our theme. And uh, right away got connected with two local artists, uh, Susan Weber and Daniel Lopez. They got us really excited about their murals around town. So, so we just naturally decided as an Apple group, we wanted to put a mural together. That sounds like such a fun project. So I'm curious, um, you're going to be working with some of your students to paint the mural. Um, Nelia and Ivy, let's get your perspective. How does how does this idea strike you of painting a mural in your community? Are you excited about it? I I am very excited. Um, I I think this is a really cool experience to have as an elementary student, and the parents and the teachers just make the experience really fun at Apple. And I think it's going to be an amazing experience. I think it's going to be awesome. And 
it's going to be really cool that we get to you do a mural at such a young age. And um, I think it's just going to be really fun. Yeah, one of the things that that I thought of when I heard about this project was, you're right, you're doing it at a really young age, but you're going to be able to see it in your neighborhood, you know, as you grow up and return to it and point to it as that cool thing that you did with your classmates. So, um who somebody tell me about the design? Is this going to be a design that the artists come up with, that, um, or is it going to be sort of student generated? How's the design going to happen for the mural? So this has been a this has been an interesting process for us because we've we've really had to create it um, on the fly, and and what we decided to do was prioritize student voice for this. So make sure that you know, of course, the students are doing the painting, but also that the the idea is really coming from them and not the not the adults. So how do you do that with 80 kids, right? How do you incorporate all their ideas? In talking to the students, you know, you say, you know, what what do you what do you want to see up there? Uh, they don't just say butterflies. They say they tell you a story, something meaningful to them about our Apple community. A family has come up a lot. Uh, nature has come up a lot. Um, we have ideas of our different ages working together. So they wanna see, you know, the older kids working with the younger kids, the adults working with all the kids, cause that's that's a part of Apple. So we're trying a process of, of collecting stories and ideas from all the kids, and then really uh, trying to find a, an overarching theme that emerges uh, from all that, that student voice. And then that theme will go to Daniel and Susan for them to think about. They know how to make it work on a wall. So, um, and so they'll be really thinking about colors that work on a large space like that and how to make that work. And then the students will execute that idea with, with help from the adults. I'm talking with Samuel Rasmussen. He's a teacher at Garfield Elementary and two of his students, Amelia and Ivy, who are all working together along with their classmates to come up with and create a mural in the Garland District of Spokane along with professional artists Daniel Lopez and Susan Weber. And they've received funding from a Spokane Arts Grant Award. So, Nelia and Ivy, I want to hear about some of the ideas. Mr. Rasmussen was talking about the stories that have been collected. What are some of your ideas that you came up with for something you might like to see included in the mural? Um, maybe, like, nature and animals, animals and, like, climate change and how we're trying to solve climate change and stuff. We should also, like, acknowledge the animals and um, species that have like sur- figured out how to survive in on earth and how like the world is changing, I guess. That's well said. Um, Mr. Rasmussen, I wonder if there's something that you're hoping your students take away as sort of something they've learned or just something to stay with them from this experience of creating a big public piece of art together. It's a great, great question. Um, spent a lot of time thinking about that when we were filling out the application for the Saga grant. And uh, there's kind of three other categories that, that I've, I've put this in in my mind. One is, 
you talked about the distance learning and that being hard. There's so much hardship right now. There's so much struggle and fear and concerns um, bottled up in, in a lot of these kiddos. And there's, uh, we have to have healthy ways to express that. And so a lot, of, a lot of the ideas that kids are coming up with, you know, with family and community, you know, they're talking a lot about COVID. They're talking a lot about, you know, being stuck at home or, or the strangeness of school. And, and so, you know, they're already thinking about that with this art project. And so to be able to kind of come together and just put your emotions on this wall uh, felt like a big one to us. We also want to really convey some lifelong art skills. So that's what's so cool about working with Daniel and Susan is they have so much to offer there. So the kids will take some skills away from this that they can, they can apply to art throughout their life. And then the other one is that we want the kids to really feel a connection to their community in, in a few different ways. One is that Sega is supporting this. So, so they're actually receiving support from the community, which is a level of trust that they're receiving. And they feel that. They feel that this is not just their parents getting them out to, to do a painting. This is, this is now a community project. So they're, they're receiving from the community and they're giving to the community. And uh, people are gonna be coming out to see it. Their grandparents will visit from out of town and they get to jump in the car and say, let's go see the mural that my class painted last year. And, and so that community piece is, is probably one of the, the ones that the students will feel the most. Um, so it seems like, like one of the most precious parts. So last question. Um, I know you said you're working on a tight timeline. When can folks expect to actually see the mural in progress and then finished? And where exactly, I know it's on Garland Avenue, but where exactly is the mural going to be? So we are painting on a wall of the Blue Door Theater on Garland in the alley behind the theater. It's one of the Garland District's uh, art alleys. And we are uh, gonna be doing some prep work here really soon, but the bulk of the painting will start on May 14th. That's a Friday. We'll be out there in the evening. We'll paint um, uh, on a kind of a rotating schedule to help with social distancing. We'll be painting Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So the 14th through the 16th. Uh, but it won't end there. So we'll then have bits and pieces getting done and, and uh, details getting finished probably all the way through uh, the rest of the school year. So middle of June, we, we were, um, we're planning on it being finished uh, by the middle of June. I've been talking with Samuel Rasmussen. He's a teacher at Garfield Elementary and two students, Nelia and Ivy. The school's parent group, Garfield Apple, has received a Spokane Arts Grant Award to fund the creation of a new public mural in Spokane's Garland District, which will be painted by Garfield Elementary students with help from artists Daniel Lopez and Susan Weber. Nelia and Ivy and Mr. Rasmussen, thank you guys so much for talking with me today. Thank you. Thanks for supporting us. Matt McCormick is Assistant Professor of Integrated Media at Gonzaga University. This Friday, Matt presents the culmination of this year's student effort, the Gonzaga University Student Film Festival, available to all virtually this Friday evening only at 7 o'clock Pacific time. I caught up with Matt and we talked about the festival. This is only the second GU Student Film Festival. 
Uh, it would be the third, but last year's was was wound up being canceled because of the pandemic. And obviously this year's is a little bit different too because it's being held online as opposed to in person. But we started the film festival really kind of at the onset of this new film program being offered at Gonzaga. And what we're doing is every year just showing essentially the, the best and the, the brightest of, of the work that's being made by our students each year. So, you know, what we do is we kind of collect work that's, that's been made over the course of the year, handpick the ones that we feel kind of best represent the work of our students, and then simply showcase it. This is the one time where the public has a real opportunity to come in and kind of just get a sense of, of what we're doing. Now, the film program has been in existence and operation. Is this your third year? It's basically, yeah. Now, it's it's kind of unrolling kind of slowly and in pieces. And in some ways, it's not even finished yet. But, you know, one of the things we wanted to do was get this film festival going because really it accomplishes a couple things. For one, it's it's great just in the fact that it celebrates the work of our students. And it's something I joke about with my students a lot where we can be making work and shooting film, shooting video, editing it together, et cetera. But there's something about that final step of actually projecting it on a screen in a room full of people who are there to watch it. That's kind of the final step of really becoming a filmmaker. And it's a really exciting experience and, and one that we wanted to make sure we set up so our students could, could experience it. Obviously, too, it's really good at you know, kind of drawing attention not only to their work, but our work uh, in the department and at the school and just trying to kind of bolster this new community of filmmakers at Gonzaga. How many uh, student filmmakers are involved? How many films are you going to be showing? Well, we have 11 films made by nine filmmakers. So a couple of filmmakers actually have two pieces in the festival. What is the span of the genres? A little bit of everything. We've got some abstract experimental work, some documentary, nonfiction work, and and some things that fall somewhere in between those two categories. The length of these films, I'm assuming that they're all relatively short offerings. Yeah, they range too, though. The shortest film is one minute long, and the longest film is 25 minutes long. So even within that scope, uh, it, it definitely ranges uh, quite a bit. Overall, the entire program that we'll be streaming on Friday night is about an hour and 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then after we stream the program, we will then have a question and answer session. Again, it's all online. It'll be on Zoom. A question and answer session for the filmmakers to you know t- tell us a little bit about themselves and the work, answer any questions that uh, the audience might have. And then during that time, too, we will also be announcing some award winners. Are there any that stand out in in your mind as being unusual examples of filmmaking or filmmaking that kind of stretches the the definition of, say, a narrative film or a documentary? Well, you know, I think one thing that's been really interesting about this year, being that we've been kind of forced to isolate and social distance and all that, that has thrown some some roadblocks into kind of traditional filmmaking. Mm. But with you know any kind of creative pursuit, roadblocks can also you know lead to new ways of doing things. So something that this festival is really uh, heavy on, which we didn't see in previous years, was a lot of work that feels kind of more diary-like. 
you know, where students are working by themselves and, and producing work that is a little bit more reflective of what they're experiencing in the, the process of, you know, being a student in the time of, of a pandemic. Some very personal work and, and simply work that's really just kind of reflecting the, the here and now of, of what we're all experiencing. Mm-hmm. One technical question here. Are these all digital presentations or was any film involved in the, the process overall? Yeah, no, these are all uh, shot and produced digitally using uh, you know, digital high definition. And um, then, of course, you know, streaming it, it all has to be digital for that. Right. That is the way that you are going to uh, conduct the festival this year. I imagine that you're hoping that maybe the next time around this is going to be an in-person event. Exactly. Yeah, we'll get back to the uh, the more traditional movie theater style of, uh, of, of sharing this work. But, you know, again, one thing, all of this stuff is always, you know, you take what you can get and, and you learn from it, but there's always new opportunities. And one cool thing about this one, about you know doing this online, is that it's going to allow an audience of people who aren't in Spokane. So people who are in different cities, different states, um, that includes the, the families of some of these student filmmakers. So there's a kind of a cool thing, you know, people can kind of check it out. And, uh, you know, maybe someone who might not have necessarily jumped at taking themselves to the movie theater and sitting down and kind of committing to that experience, you know, now you can just tune in online and and, and check it out. So it's a a little bit more accessible to a a much wider audience. And that wider audience, how would they access the festival? Yeah, so we'll be streaming the video on, um, so so everything's going to be compiled into one program. Uh, streaming at 7 p.m. on Friday, April 30th. It's at our Vimeo page. It's uh, the official website is www.vimeo. That's v-i-m-e-o. dot com forward slash g-u-i-n-m-d, standing for the uh, Gonzaga University Integrated Media Department. But again, I'll just say that one more time: Vimeo. dot com forward slash G-U-I-N-M-D. Also, no one wants to write that down, and it's probably going to be impossible to remember. So if you go to our Facebook page, if you go to the uh, Facebook page for either the Integrated Media Department or the Art Department at Gonzaga, um, you will likely find uh, plenty of information kind of linking to the showcase. And prospective viewers have to be on their toes because this is a single offering a single showing. It's not like it's going to be archived for X number of weeks. Exactly. So you better tune in. You've got to be Mr. and Ms. First Nighter. That's, that's all there is to it. You know, if it is real next year, I just hope that there's a red carpet involved. It just adds oh, so much to the yeah, and, and lots of uh, paparazzi as well. Absolutely, yes, yes. We're looking forward to that. And uh, frankly, looking forward to this iteration of the Gonzaga Student Film Festival. Matt McCormick, Thank you for all your work with your students in assisting in their production of these films and for shepherding this growing department at Gonzaga. And we look forward to talking with you back when when things are back to more of a, a normal state to see how things are going. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you so much. Some music from the past is easily identified as to time period, even nationality. The piece we'll hear now 
a sarabande, a historic dance, by 18th century composer Jean-Philippe Rameau, has a fresh, contemporary sound to it, due mainly to Rameau's creative use of harmony. From our KPBX studio, this is pianist Melody Puller. You can hear Melody's entire piano bench program with her playing more of Rameau's music and discussing his life, music, and historical context on a From the Studio podcast at SpokanePublicRadio.org. I'm Jim Tevenin. This is Northwest Arts Review. The pandemic gave Spokane Poet Laureate Chris Cook a chance to get to know his Browns Edition neighborhood better and an idea emerged. Why not invite budding poets in the greater Spokane community an opportunity to share the wonders of their neighborhoods? Chris shared this with Vern Windham. Chris Cook, Poet Laureate of Spokane, we're going to talk about uh, expectations and then realities. You launched the In the Neighborhood Project, and we'll talk about expectations and then realities on the response you got. 
expectations. <laughs> I didn't really know quite what to expect because I wanted this to be a community-based poetry project. And so I wanted to include more than just our, our local and area writers in this. And so I didn't know how many people might consider themselves to be poets or to be brave enough to step into this this realm, this open submission online project. I didn't know exactly how many neighborhoods we had in Spokane. I was hoping to have most of them represented. Boy, the expectations were more than met. Turns out we have 26 neighborhoods represented. Didn't know we had that many. And a lot more submissions from beyond the city limits for, I think, over 150 poems and counting still. And I'm so heartened that we had people of all ages and backgrounds and um, an entire class from Mrs. Santos's third grade at Westview Elementary School um, submitting their haikus. It's tremendous turnout, and um, it was, as I say, quite heartening. I, I was just hoping for enough poems to maybe create a little bit of a literary atlas of Spokane in the year 2021, and I think we did it. Be careful what you ask for sometimes, right? Yeah, exactly. It was it was a blessing, of course, to have the help of Spokane Arts. I mean, you can just pretty much be an idea person with something like this, and they have the means of making it a reality. And most recently, we had Darian Mack doing the video production for a new Spokane Arts video project based on In the Neighborhood, and Keeley Honeywell's artwork for the, the website uh, which you can access via SpokanePoetry.com or SpokaneArts.org. So many people uh, pitching in with this, and I'm I'm very proud. And what did you learn about how people feel about their neighborhoods? I learned that they feel the same way um, and have the same pride as, as me. COVID was a blessing in that I got to know my neighborhood a lot better. Um, it helps to have a dog that needs to be walked twice a day. But getting out and uh, enjoying some fresh air was a good mental and physical break. And I, I think I found that there were many, many other people experiencing the same thing. And as poets do, they sometimes find the nuances, the little things that are universal, um, that apply to all neighborhoods. And so you can read about something in the Logan neighborhood that applies very much to the South Hill or Vinegar Flats or a neighborhood in Australia, for that matter. And when you talked about then the collection you get, what is the ultimate goal here in terms of publication and or dissemination? Well, we didn't know whether it would go beyond being an online project. I'm happy to have it be that in, in this day and age. It's fine. It's legitimate. It's so impressive and beautiful. I do urge people to, to check it out. But initially, we were also thinking of doing a, uh, a maybe best of to kind of cherry pick all of the submissions and turn it into a proper bound volume. And um, we haven't had initial discussions about that, but it's a sure thing that we have enough material to choose from should we decide to go ahead with that. Well, Chris Cook, congratulations on what sounds like just a wonderful way to bring the community together, the Poetry Project in the Neighborhood. Thanks so much, Vern. Once again, those addresses, spokanepoetry.com 
or spokanearts.org. Thanks for listening to Northwest Arts Review. I'm Jim Tevenin. Help today came from Chris Massini and Vern Windham. Thanks as well to Samuel Rasmussen and his students, also Matt McCormick, Chris Cook, and Melody Poehler. Just a bit more Rameau takes us out. Please join us again next week for another Northwest Arts Review on Spokane Public Radio.